refresh your menopause sugar cravings just in time for summer with all-natural Bossa Bars Menopause Energy Bars. They're delicious keto and intermittent fasting-friendly bars created to help women manage weight loss and energy during the challenging stages of the pause. Try them at bossabars.com. That's B-O-S-S-A bars.com and save 10% with code HOTCOOL10. Welcome back to Hot Flashes and Cool Topics podcast, the voice for women in midlife and beyond. At Hot Flashes and Cool Topics, we talk about anything and everything to do with midlife. My name is Colleen. My name is Bridget. And today we are going to be talking about toxic positivity. You know, a lot of people don't really know what toxic positivity is, so we're going to talk about what that is. Basically, it's that unrelenting need to be positive all the time. And I don't know about you, Bridget, but people who are too positive all the time, they just piss me off. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) No, it can. And you know, and of course I had to miss this one too, because I have been gallivanting. Little Miss Traveler. And I need to settle down. But anyway, (laughs) I had to miss this one too. And I read her book and it was really great. Uh, Whitney Goodman, it's Toxic Positivity. And it is keeping it real in a world obsessed with being happy. And, you know, I definitely would fall into the trap that she talks about here, where you felt like you had to be happy. You had, you, that you didn't deserve to be upset because you felt like it could be worse. It could be worse. And they'll, you and uh, Whitney talk a lot about that in this interview today. And, you know, I always, I don't know, Colleen, if it was our Catholic upbringing or what it was (laughs) that we should always feel guilty. Um, You know, I I did. I, I just constantly felt guilty. And I felt like I don't deserve to complain. It invalidates your feelings as to somehow you're not entitled because your pain is somehow less than Pain is pain. Right. And if someone else is feeling pain, we can empathize with them as well. But that doesn't belittle your pain. You know, if right. you have a if you lose a family member and someone just goes, Well, this too shall pass, that's like the worst thing you can say to somebody <laughs> because it doesn't pass. You learn it to will live with it. It will never pass. Yeah. It will never pass. And then you just yeah. want to go go away from me. Like, who are you? Yeah. yeah. Positive peppy people all the time, fake peppy people. Y'all need to take a Valium and relax a little bit. <laughs> I mean, no, it's, it. you know, you absolutely, I really appreciate this because it, it, the past few years, it has made it or made me aware that, you know what, it's okay to be upset sometimes and it's okay to talk this out. And, you know, also when you have the friend that I love the talk about the one-uppers that you talk about. Mm-hmm. Oh, the one-uppers. We all have one. We've got the one-uppers that my pain is worse. Well, that sounds bad, but listen to me. You know, I, it reminds me of the Far Side cartoon where the two people are <laughs> sitting at the bar and the one has the wooden leg and the other one said, the guy with the uh, wooden head, he's got a peg head. It's like, that's a great story, but you ought to hear mine. But I just really appreciate that. Wait a minute. It's okay for me to feel bad about this. And she also has her Instagram page, sit with wit. So say that 10 times fast. I know it, but it's, it's really a good Instagram page and it's really thought provoking. And I just really appreciate it. The whole thing. 
Yes, it was a really good conversation. She talks about when toxic positivity can be a problem, not just in your personal life, but in in the corporate world as well. Uh, when it's time to maybe end a friendship, because you need to have someone who's validating your feelings and who sometimes just sits with you in that muck and doesn't say, get over it. Let's get up. Let's do, let's do, because you will get up, but you're entitled to be down for a little bit. And if someone doesn't validate those feelings, it really can make people feel worse and isolated. And we certainly don't need any more isolation. That is right. So we are going to be talking with Whitney Goodman all about her new, her book, Toxic Positivity. And before we do that, we just want to remind you guys that we're finishing out season three this summer. Cannot believe season four is starting. We are so excited. Make sure you are subscribed to the podcast. And if you haven't left a review, we always appreciate it. We have some really cool things coming up for season four, some changes, some just adding on. And one thing we really want to find out from you guys are topics that maybe we haven't covered yet that you would like to hear about. So if you could email us at hotflasheskooltopics at gmail.com and just give us a heads up on what you might like to hear in season four, we are going to start our conversation with Whitney Goodman. Enjoy. Welcome back to Hot Flashes and Cool Topics. Today, I am flying solo, but I am with the author of Toxic Positivity, Whitney Goodman. And the book Toxic Positivity is called Keeping It Real in a World Obsessed with Being Happy. So welcome to the show, Whitney. Hi, thank you for having me. Well, thank you for coming on because I think this is kind of becoming a buzzword It's like, I just read an article in Forbes the other day about toxic positivity. And with you being a therapist, a psychologist, I'm sure you see some of it in your practice. But I thought we'd start at the beginning. What is toxic positivity and why did you think it was important to write a book about it? Yeah, toxic positivity is really this unrelenting pressure to be happy or pursuing happiness and positivity all the time, no matter what the circumstances. And we see this come up as something that we use against other people and also against ourselves. While I was working as a therapist, um, I had recently gone into private practice. I decided to start using Instagram to market my practice. I was like, oh, this is free. It'll be easy to use. And I discovered this whole part of like the Instagram algorithm that I guess I had missed all these years. And it was all this like positive thinking, gratitude, manifestation, all this stuff. And I was like, oh my gosh, any of my clients who are going through a hard time, were seeing this. I can't imagine how this would feel for them. And this was back in like the end of 2017, early 2018. And I started just having more conversations about it, noticing themes coming up in my sessions, as well as with friends and family. And I decided to write about it online for the first time. And that's really where it kind of took off and became this book, uh, several years later. And you have a, you do have a great Instagram account sit with wit. I have to say that slowly, <laughs> otherwise sit with it will come out. But sit exactly. With and you, you post some great practical posts as opposed to this too shall pass. And one of the things you talk about is like, it could be worse, which is a saying that a lot of people use. Why is that? Why can that be a dangerous statement to make to people? I don't, I don't find it particularly motivating. Like when you tell me it could be worse, I'm like, Oh, great. Especially for someone with anxiety or who is depressed. Like 
now you've just given them a whole host of other things, you know, worse things to think about. It also kind of creates this dynamic where we have to be grateful that things aren't worse, that we need to kind of look at what we're going through, compare it to something worse, and then feel kind of invalidated of like, I'm not allowed to be upset about this because there's something worse. And it really, in most cases, could always be a little bit worse. The environment as it is now, and a lot of people are struggling with anxiety, depression, you know, they're at home a lot. This seems to be something that's even more important now to validate feelings. What is it about people that feel the need to be so, I want to say optimistic, but there's really a difference between optimism and toxic positivity. What drives them to want to constantly do that? Is that avoidance? It it can be avoidance of like, I just don't really want to deal with what you're talking about. Um, I don't, it can also be like, I don't feel like I'm equipped to help you with that. And so I just want to shut it down. I find that the people do, that do this the most, it's really because they don't know what else to do. They think what they're doing is the right, nice thing, or it's just kind of something they've been taught to do. And very rarely is it being done in like a really cruel, insidious way. Of, of course that happens, but a lot of it is just like robotic at this point, I think for people. It's almost like the fallback to mm-hmm. saying that. And for some people, it could be very isolating when you're around toxic positivity. Can you talk about that? Absolutely. So I think that's one of the worst things that happens as a result of toxic positivity is that when I'm feeling something and I think everyone around me is happy, doing well, they're not dealing with the thing that I'm dealing with, I'm going to feel very alone. And then if I go out in the world and I decide to share that, with people. And all I get back is it's not that bad. At least it's not this, just be grateful. Look on the bright side. I'm going to feel even more alone of like, wow, not only do I think I'm the only one that's going through this, other people are basically telling me like, it's not that bad. And there's a very simple fix to what feels like quite a complex and difficult issue for me. And typically that's going to make someone not talk about it anymore. In itself can be a dangerous thing to do because then you're internalizing and you're suppressing emotions right at that point. You're not validating your own feelings. Exactly. And we know it's become very clear in the research on emotional health that when you suppress emotions chronically over time, they just end up intensifying getting worse and showing up in other ways, whether that's through mental or physical health struggles, relationship struggles, it, it doesn't work in the way that we think it's going to. What are some examples, if you could give them, of toxic positivity in relationships? Like, Because a lot of people will stay in a relationship because they feel like, well, the person, I can change them or they're good. Can you talk about some examples of that? We say these things to people a lot, I think, because we we prioritize like relationships that last a long time, right? So what I see is people saying things like, well, they keep a roof over your head or they pay the bills or I know someone's husband that's way meaner to them or at least they do this. Um, 
or even just telling people like, come on, it'll get better. Just keep your head down. When someone is clearly expressing to you that they're in either an abusive or really toxic relationship, I think saying these things can instill these beliefs in people that like what I'm feeling isn't that bad. And I kind of just need to stick it out because that's what you do. When do you know that you are actually engaging in that toxic positivity? Like how do you find, what are the triggers and, and how do you recognize them? Whenever you feel like you're being pushed to say something positive to someone who's really struggling with you, I think that's a time to check in of like, am I getting uncomfortable with this? Am I feeling like I want to fix it? Um, do I not want to sit with this feeling and trying instead to think about like, do I really understand what's going on with this person? Um, do I know how things are going to turn out? And also do I need to set a boundary? Like sometimes it's not that you just don't want to be helpful to someone, but maybe you don't have the capacity or the tools and setting a boundary with them can often be much more effective than saying, oh, well, everything happens for a reason. And then changing the subject. When you talk about setting boundaries, I would love to go into that a little bit more. Like what can you do? For example, your friend is in a toxic relationship and you want to tell her all the, you know, get it to get out and she doesn't see it. What kind of boundaries can you set? So you're not stepping over the line and kind of getting involved. Yeah. The first thing with that type of situation is making sure that your advice is even being asked for. Um, I think a lot of the time we see people in situations and we, we are like, that's bad. I have to get them out. And if the person isn't ready to hear what you're saying, you actually run the risk of pushing them away far too quickly. And I think leaving them isolated, like we just talked about. So in these types of situations, I think it's best to come from a place of non-judgment and also just keeping the door open of like, I'm kind of worried about you. It seems like your relationship's been really tough. Like I'm here if you want to talk about it, or I want to make sure that you're safe. Is there anything going on that you feel like I can help with or that I should know? Now there are cases where someone is using you as their therapist or their emotional dumping ground about their relationship. And it's getting very hard for you to listen without stepping in. And I think in those situations, sometimes it's okay to say like, I want to help you, but I am so worried about you and your safety that like, I'm not going to be able to do a good job at being non-judgmental or listening to you. Like, I don't know if I'm the best person for this. And that can be scary when someone is in a hard place. Um, but we have to be honest about our capacity um, and also honest about how it's impacting us to be a support person, making sure that they have access to other resources like therapists, other friends, um, you know, support lines, et cetera, can be very helpful. We had Ginger Z on from Good Morning America recently, and she talked about being in a toxic relationship. And her best friend from when she was a child, she would call her every night and say he did this or he did that. And at one point she called her and she said, I can't do this with you anymore. I, I have to set a boundary. I have a small child. You can't call me every night. And she said that was really a wake up call for her. Yeah. But for her friend, it was a frightening thing to do because she didn't want to not be there for her mm -hmm. friend. So it's an uncomfortable situation to be put in, but for your own emotional health, sometimes it's, it's necessary to set that boundary. What about in the, I know you talk a little bit about the workplace when you're in a toxic work environment, number one, how do you recognize that? And two, what can you do about it? 
So toxic positivity and, and toxic work cultures, I think, really show up when there's a lot of groupthink. So where the person uh, who's in charge or the company culture wants everybody to kind of think the same way, not dissent in any way, not have any differences of opinion. And when that happens, things can feel pretty nice and comfortable, especially for the leaders, but there's not a lot of creativity or change going on. And so I think having a workplace where people are allowed to share how they're feeling, where there's environments where that's um, able to happen and people are listening and they're there for them is so important um, as a leader to create those spaces. But if you're someone that's noticing, Hey, this is going on in my office, I think trying to be proactive and create those opportunities for yourself, finding people in the workplace that you can talk to, that you can share things about and being really pragmatic is essential. There are some workplaces of course, that are just so toxic that you may have to leave or find other employment because of the things that are happening there. One of the most difficult things to go through is loss in a life. And when you lose a family member or you lose any loved one, people don't know what to say to you. So they say this shall pass or, you know, it will get better. And and that doesn't help. Can you talk about, I know you talk about swapping out toxic positivity for understanding. And I think this is a really good example of when that would help. Yeah. Grief is so hard. And it's one of the times, like you said, that I noticed toxic positivity shows up the most. And so what people can do instead in these situations is try to understand what's going on for the person and also show empathy and compassion. And what that might look like is saying like, what's the hardest part for you? What have you been struggling with lately? How can I be there for you? Would it be helpful if I brought food over whatever it is and showing compassion and empathy is just that seems really hard. I am so proud of how you're getting through this. This is a really difficult thing. No one prepares you for this. Like really trying to think about how can I validate this person's experience and make it so that they feel understood and heard, not try to make it better for them or erase what they're going through. It's so complicated because you want to be there for someone but you don't want to make it worse because you already know they're kind of in that depth of what about just sitting with them? Like, what if you just say, I don't know what to do, but I'm just going to sit with you. That's honestly, I think one of the best things you can do. And I say this to clients sometimes of like, I really feel like I want to fix this for you. And I'm not sure where to go next. I imagine that you must feel that lost too, or that you might be feeling that way. And also just sitting in silence is okay. I think people are so scared of that, but for the grieving person or the person going through something that can be so validating because you're essentially telling them like, I'm not scared. I'm going to be here with you. Your grief is not overwhelming me. It's not making me want to run away and hide, which I think a lot of people who are going through something hard are very afraid of. They're afraid of losing people because their pain is so big. For many people, it triggers their own experience with grief. So it can be very uncomfortable to sit with it because it kind of just triggering, right? Yes. And sharing in that is great too, though. Like 
not making it about you, but sort of being like, I am feeling some of the feelings that I had when I lost like this person. I want you to know that like, I, I know what this feels like for me and I know that it's scary and know that it's overwhelming. And like, there can be a lot of unity in having that shared experience with someone. What about the other end of the spectrum when people are just, if you, you know, if you have a headache, they have a migraine. It's always worse. (laughs) You know, if you have a cold, they have the flu. Is that kind of the opposite end of the spectrum for toxic positivity? Yeah. You know, I write about this in the book about this, like one upping style of complaining that a lot of people engage in. And I see it as a window into like, Oh, this person really doesn't feel heard regularly in their daily life. So when someone's complaining to them, they're kind of taking that as their only valid entry point to be like, I can complain too. And I'm going to make it worse so that I get some validation that I find that when those people have other outlets, whether it's therapy, other friendships, they don't do that as much. And it's okay to redirect people back and be like, I mean, sometimes if my mom does this, I'll be like, it's my time with the floor right now. We can talk (laughs) about your headache after your migraine after and assuring them that they're going to get some space for what's going on with them as well. That's a great way to respond to them because there are a lot of people out there that will say, they always have to, like you said, one up whatever your crisis is, their crisis is just a little bit more damaging. (laughs) For a lot of women in midlife, we are in the sandwich generation where we are taking care of our parents, we're taking care of whether it be teenagers or still with adult children. And we are taught that to complain it's not right. It's not okay for us to say, I'm overwhelmed here. It's always, well, I'm grateful. And you are grateful that you have your parents as they get older. And you are grateful that your children are part of your lives. How do you tap into those feelings without feeling the shame that comes along with it? The number one thing to remember is that you can be grateful for something and complain about it at the same time. And I think for women, especially, we've been taught to smile, not ruffle any feathers, not complain, like you're saying. And I noticed that a lot while I was pregnant after I had my child, that it's like, be grateful or else, you know, don't show that, that we have to reaffirm for ourselves that it's okay to complain about things. Um, things are upsetting and they're hard and putting that word and in there of, and I, I also love that I have my parents, like you said, I love that my children are around, but today, oh my gosh, it was really tough for me to get through the day. What about talking about it? There's shame involved in even bringing it up. How can you kind of, if someone's closed off, is there a way that you can kind of open them up to a conversation about their feelings? So modeling is huge with this. And I think that just us talking about our own feelings around people and showing that it's normal and it can be done is really powerful. When someone is, I see this particularly in older generations, kind of only talking about something in a positive way and brushing anything difficult under the rug. Sometimes I might say like, you know, it would make sense if you had some complaints about that, or like, it would make sense if that was hard, or if I was dealing with that, I would be pretty insert emotion. And you can kind of unlock that door just a little bit of like, Oh, I'm allowed to have mixed feelings about this thing. Another thing you talk about is the fact that positivity does not always equal happiness. 
Can you talk about that? When people use positivity as a way to like get to happiness, I find that it's often um, being used to suppress emotions like we've talked about. So they might constantly have a positive attitude about something, be telling themselves to look on the bright side, but that suppression of all the other emotions is actually what's getting in the way of any type of true happiness, fulfillment, joy, um, all those other feelings, because there's no depth to that level of positive thinking. And, you know, a lot of people will talk about burnout and burnout can happen even with toxically positive people. That's a mouthful. (laughs) Number one, who are the most likely to get to burnout? And, And two, what can you do about it? Burnout happens a lot for people who take on too much, who feel like they're sort of like the fixers, the caretakers. I see it a lot with women, especially now that we have this feeling of like, you can have it all. Okay. So I'm going to try to have it all and do it all in every area of life. Um, And what you'll start to see is this feeling of like, you just can't take one more drop in the bucket or you're going to scream or overflow. And when that starts to happen, I think uh, we go for a lot of these really quick fixes, but people need to instead look at what needs to change about my life. Where am I spending most of the time? Where do I not have help? You know, how is my world and like my society and my family set up in a way that I'm taking on so much and that I can't handle it all. And sometimes just that admitting I can't do all of this is the biggest first step. When you're talking about that, I I had mentioned to you off air that I just read an article in Forbes about toxic positivity and they talk about cognitive reappraisal or reframing because if not, you're not really accepting reality. And that seems a little scary. Can you talk about that? It sounds very similar to another um, concept that I like to use called radical acceptance, which is really being able to take a a full overview of reality and accept all the parts. So the good, the bad, and the neutral and positive thinking would tell us like you have to take every negative thought and turn it into a positive. This is more looking at, okay, what do I need to accept about this? That is just happening. That might be bad. What can I change? Um, what is possible? So looking at also like the positive sides, what could change? What could the future be? And allowing yourself to create this, really like nuanced mental picture of what is going on. If you feel like you're getting um, a little toxic in the way you're thinking, what are some of the reframings you can do in your own mind to say, okay, I'm I'm a little too on the bright side of everything here (laughs) and not accepting what is. My favorite trick is to use the word and. So really being able to say, this is hard. Um, you know, maybe I'm not feeling well today and I don't like that. And I have someone that's helping me take care of myself. I'm able to get medication from the doctor. So inserting that word in between what is bad and what could be better. I also like to make things, um, really dynamic and avoid using words like always, never, etc. So if you're feeling like, I'm never going to get over this. Instead saying like, I'm working to get over this. I'm trying to move forward and using more of those like action words instead of fixed can be really powerful. 
Why did you feel it was important now to get the book out there and how has the response been to it? I saw a new like resurgence in toxic positivity in a lot of new areas during the pandemic. Um, I think we were all feeling like that was the way to cope and get through it. And people were saying that everywhere uh, that I felt like it just needed to be talked about and noticing that a lot of people are ready for a more real rational type of approach um, with the way things have been. The response has honestly been the same that it's been since day one. There are the people that are like, I've been looking for this phrase or this my whole life. And then there are the people who are really doubled down on positive thinking and it is like their cross to bear and they think it's like the stupidest thing ever to call positivity (laughs) toxic. Um, And then you get the people in the middle that are like, I'm willing to learn about this and maybe I don't totally agree with it. Or maybe I want to implement some parts into my life. You have people out there who are always giving the platitudes, but they also acknowledge that that it's not always wonderful. You know what I mean? Like Oprah will say, you know, take it as a lesson and move on. Or, you know, you're Brene Browns and talking vulnerability. So it's not always like you have to just sit and not look at reality, which really in this day and age can be quite unnerving to watch someone just kind of disconnect from what is really happening Mm -hmm. and just be like, Oh, it'll be, it'll be great. Like they just kind of (laughs) sit there and go, it'll be great. And you look at them like, what the heck are you talking about? You know? Yeah. Yeah. So, so for the people who kind of want to set a boundary in a relationship, whether it be a friendship, because especially for midlife women, we're reaching an age where we no longer maybe would tolerate what we normally would tolerate in friendships. What do you suggest when it's time to end a relationship or it's time to end a friendship? What can you do to be the most comfortable about it? It of course depends on the status of the relationship. I think there are some friendships that just will organically kind of fade away if you stop reaching out, if you stop planning things. And then there might be friendships or relationships where things have gone wrong. There's been a boundary violation or a transgression of some kind. And maybe you want to think about, do I want to express myself to this person and kind of explain to them why I'm cutting back on the relationship? Well, I I highly recommend this book to a lot, to so many of our listeners. I think for midlife women, Toxic positivity can exist in your life and you don't even realize that you're doing it or that you're kind of allowing someone else to pour that energy onto you and your energy is important and and it's not finite. So (laughs) make sure uh, to get toxic positivity, keeping it real in a world obsessed with being happy. I love that title. Thank you so much, Whitney, for coming on the show. And we'll have all of your links in the show notes. And we just want, we really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Well, we want to thank Whitney Goodman so much for being on the show today. That is such an important message about toxic positivity. Also, I want everybody to know that just check out our website. We have got a lot of really cool things on there. And also we have our shop uh, LTK. We have our Instagram page. We have a new Instagram page, which is Hot Flash Shop. We have a second one. We second still have one. our first one, but now we started a second one because we don't right. have enough stuff. We, need we, don't, to we want to do more. No. <laughs> also, just check out our website. You can find um, our all of our episodes on our website. We also have a YouTube channel. We will have 
a lot of our episodes on YouTube. We may not have every one because when we started out this podcast, we didn't know how to record videos. (laughs) (laughs) And now we have learned so much. You're getting a good 80, 90% of them. Yes. Yes. So if you check out our YouTube Hot Flashes and Cool Topics channel, make sure you check that out. And thank you so much for listening to us. And again, just give us any suggestions on a topic that you might want to know more about. And we will will be trying to find the people to help us with that, that are the experts in that field. So have a great week, guys. We'll talk to you next time. Bye.